Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice. This is a transcript from the podcast's radio programme on being. Krista Tippett, and this is an interview with Angel Kyodo Williams. Krista Tippett says, you say we cannot have a healed society. We cannot have change. We cannot have justice if we do not reclaim and repair the human spirit. If we don't do the inner work, as you say, in another place that has been underemphasized, that we have not trained ourselves to do the work that is upon us. Angel Kyoto Williams. No, we haven't. We haven't, and we haven't for good reason from a particular perspective, to do our work to come into deep knowing of who we are. That's the stuff that bringing down systems of oppression is made of. And so capitalism in its current form couldn't survive. Patriarchy couldn't survive. White supremacy couldn't survive if enough of us set about the work of reclaiming the human spirit, which includes reclaiming the sense of humanity of the people that are the current vehicles for those very forms of oppression. And a reading from Jesus of Nazareth. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. <clears throat> I'll never forget hearing um, a colleague speak about doing um, peace work in Northern Ireland. This was someone who was uh, negotiating with loyalist paramilitary groups in Northern Ireland, very serious thing. And the one thing when I heard him talk about this, which struck me most, was that he said that he found the loyalist terrorists in Northern Ireland to be nicer people than the peace activists. He said something like that. He said, within the peace organizations, there was more politics, more backbiting, more bullying than in the terrorist organizations. And that's always struck me because it reminds me that an organization can have a noble purpose and yet can have totally screwed up interpersonal dynamics. You can belong to an organization that's purpose is peace and yet one that acts in an ultimately violent way, even if that's just the violence of words. This is the danger that's always present for any community of people trying to seek the beloved community. <clears throat> you know, churches can be uh, places of, of nasty gossip. Peace organisations can be places where people get bullied. Climate activist groups can act with huge amounts of white supremacy and white privilege. And politically progressive men can treat the women in their lives with sexism and abuse. What do we do about that? What do we do about that? Do we just kind of shrug our shoulders and admit that we're hypocrites? 
or say, you know, nobody's perfect, nothing's perfect, and just keep on going. You know, in the church, this is expressed in the version that says the church is full of sinners. There's there's room for one more. But is that all we can say? Are we trying to be? Aren't we trying to be a bit better than that? You know, or do we what do we do? Do we call out bad behavior whenever we see it? Maybe. But if we do, how does that not just become another form of, of dysfunction that's fueled out of anger? out of guilt, out of fear. I suggest we find the answer for, for, for some of this stuff in ferns. Yeah, ferns. Adrian Marie Brown in her book, Emergent Strategy, talks about a fern as an example of a fractal. Now, fractals are infinite complex patterns that are self-similar across different scales. So that means when you look at a, at a fern, you see one long stem with, with branching green, kind of green leaves sprouting off. But then we, when you look at those leaves that are sprouting off and zoom in again, you see, you see the same pattern again. You see one long stem with leaves branching off um, at the same angle and you zoom in and you see the same pattern uh, at a different scale. That's a fractal. Now applying the idea of fractals to human organizations, Adrienne Marie Brown says, how we are at the small scale is how we are at the large scale. Now I think Jesus had this intuition too. I think that's how we need to approach that most difficult teaching of his, which is love your enemies. It's interesting that love your enemies is the one phrase that the Jesus seminar think is most likely to have actually been said by the real living, breathing, historic Jesus. Now, not everyone's on board with the with the agenda of the Jesus Seminar project, where where they look at every word in all the Gospels and and, and other other writings, and they try to work out which one can actually really be traced back to this man who walked the earth called Jesus. And they think of all the of all the phrases in everything recorded, what Jesus said, the one they're most certain was actually said by him was love your enemies. And I think they're probably right. I think if there was any chance that really didn't come from the lips of Jesus, someone would have quietly found a way to get rid of it from the record. But because it was so well attested, they just couldn't do it. And of course, there are days when we wish we could get rid of it from the record, when it's challenges too much for us. But there it remains, that unreasonable challenge. How can we possibly respond to that challenge? I think first, let's understand that to love your enemies, you've got to have enemies. Now, that's not too difficult for folks who suffer under an oppressive system. If your body is threatened in this society, then I'm pretty sure you know who your enemies are. 
If you think you've not got any enemies to love, I got to tell you, you're not doing it right. If you think you've not got any enemies, then you've likely got a lot of privilege. And you're going to need to work that little bit harder at getting yourself some enemies. But don't worry, it's not that difficult. Just listen to the experience of others, of black lives, of queer lives, of trans lives, of women's lives. Listen to that experience and you'll work out who the enemies are soon enough. Once you've got enemies, you've got to start fighting against them. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, that doesn't mean violence, but it does mean fighting. It means condemning the kind of peace that is really just quiet streets, a submissive population, a passive society that does not speak up about injustice. That's not true peace. That's just silence. And silence equals death. That's what the signs said at AIDS activists marches in the past. That's what they say now at Black Lives Matter marches. Silence equals death. This is the, the silence stroke peace that is white silence that just wants people to be nice and not cause a fuss, even while black bodies are sacrificed. And to this silence peace, Jesus says, no, I'm not I've come to bring a sword to that kind of peace. I've come to name the enemies, the powers, the systems we need to make war with. So once you've found your enemies and started fighting against them, then you're in a position to love them. How do we do that? Firstly, not the easy, not the cheap way. Again, we have to be really aware of privilege here. There's an easy and a cheap way of loving enemies if, if you've not really experienced them as enemies, as people threatening your body, your rights, your dignity. This has been shown in some Extinction Rebellion protests. When white activists were chanting police, we love you, we're doing this for you too. And how that sounded in the ears of black people in London and in the UK was not good. This was cheap enemy love, done with no understanding of police brutality, of, of the historic institutional racism of the police, particularly in London. And it was harmful to, to, to black people who have been protesting about this police brutality for decades. That's not what real enemy love looks like. That's cheap enemy love. Real enemy love is super clear on the enemy and exactly what violence they are responsible for. It names it, it knows it, it describes it, it understands it, it condemns it, it condemns that violence and it demands an end to that violence. And it seeks to be with others who are demanding an end to that violence. But ultimately, it refuses to manifest the violence back on the enemy. 
ultimately it responds with love. And again, privileged people like me need to be super conscious of, of our white privilege in wrestling with this. We need to be careful we're not demanding nonviolence from the oppressed while excusing the violence of the oppressor, including economic violence and cultural violence and spiritual violence. But while keeping the nuance of this struggle in my mind, I do have to commit to enemy love as a disciple of Jesus. We ultimately respond with love. Why? Because this is the ultimate path to liberation. Because how we are at the small scale is how we are at the large scale. Because to fight against the violence of the world, I need to fight against the seed of violence within me. Because as Daniel Ladinsky said, can true humility and compassion exist in our words and our eyes unless we know that we too are capable of any act? We need to recognize the violence within us, the, the white supremacy within us, the potential dictator within us, the abuser within us to be able to liberate ourselves from these things. As Buddhist teacher and activist Angel Kyodo Williams says, we ultimately bring down violent capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy by reclaiming the human spirit, by operating out of what I would call our Christ nature rather than out of ego and fear. We reclaim our own human spirit and by acting out of nonviolence and love to enemies while also fighting against them, we begin to reclaim the human spirit of our enemies, of the people who are the vehicles of that oppression and that violence. It's not just that this is a good tactic, though I think that it is. It's that I think it plugs us into the very nature of the universe of God. This, this fractal universe where your veins look like rivers and the swirl of your coffee looks like the Milky Way. This quantum universe where there's more mysterious entanglement than we can imagine invites us to awaken to that insight, how we are at the small scale is how we are at the large scale. And in the spiritual practice of contemplative prayer and the emotional practice of doing community and in the mistakes and the forgiveness and the conflict and the confession and the repentance, we begin to reclaim the human spirit piece by piece. And we begin to learn to love our enemies and reject violence on the small scale, on the spiritual scale, on the interpersonal scale, as much as on the global scale. It's a challenge but it begins with the work inside of us. This is how I, I begin 
to practice this. When I've been at the pride parade and the religious protesters are there with their big old signs, I never forget to shout at them, bless you. And yeah, I am pronouncing bless as a four letter word. But I also mean it. I want them to be blessed. I want them to reclaim the human spirit and experience the gospel of love. I want them to be converted out of their narrowness, out of their hatred. I want them to deepen into their spirits for my sake and for their sake. I want that. I hope for that. I pray for that, for their human spirit to be reclaimed. I'm very clear that they are my enemies until they begin to do that. But I do hope for it. And that is the way I try to operate out of that energy. The other thing, which is a, a small thing, a silly thing. One thing I've learned to do is, is, is change how I respond to cold callers and telephone scammers and to begin to do that with love. For a while, I was getting a lot of calls that kind of said, oh, we are from Microsoft and there is a virus on your computer that we need to get rid of. It always seemed to happen on Monday morning for some reason. And of course, if you let them, they say, go to this website and, and they will take control of your computer if you let them and cause havoc for you. Now, my immediate reaction for these things is just to put the phone down because I actually really dislike confrontation, especially on, on the telephone. And that puts me right out of my comfort zone. But then I decided, I decided to change. I decided to see these phone calls as little exercises in being assertive. So I'd get a phone call and I'd, I'd play a game. I wouldn't let them take control of my computer, but I would keep talking to them as long as I possibly could. I would never hang up. I would always get them to hang up first. And as long as they hung up first, I thought to myself, I won the game. It became a game. Who's going to hang up first? Like, I'm not going to hang up. I'm going to keep talking to you. I'm not going to let you take control of my computer, but I'm going to keep talking to you for as long as I can. And I'm never going to hang up. I'm, I'm going to wait for you to get fed up of me and hang up. And so it went on for, for, you know, five or six or seven minutes. I was always trying to beat my record. I would sort of just go slowly and ask them questions, try to try to get them to repeat what they were saying, sort of go, what, what do you mean kind of thing? And just get them to just try to find ways of, of keeping them talking. Because I thought at least if they were talking to me, they weren't talking to a more vulnerable person who could get scammed. So I was using up their time. Eventually they always got sick of me and just put the phone down. Then I saw a video on the internet of when someone actually did get one of these people talking and they said, yeah, I'm not proud of myself. I don't have many options. I can't leave. At that moment, actually, there was a moment of honesty after someone else had kind of taken on these scammers. 
And I, I realized at that point that the people making these phone calls, my enemies in this game, were actually victims too, probably coerced to work for criminal gangs, maybe in some kind of debt, labor, exploited somewhere in the world. And since then, after wasting their time for five minutes, I started saying to them, can I talk to you as a human being? I'm a human being, you know, you're a human being. I don't know you, you don't know me. We're just two people on this planet. And I just want to say, I love you. I love you. I'm sending love to you. I don't know what your situation is, but it can't be a good situation because you're involved in this criminal act. And that's not good. It's not good the act you're involved in this criminality. I don't know how you got involved in this, but this is the situation you're in. And I feel sorry for you in that situation. But I think if you can, you should try to get out of that situation. There's not much I can do. I can't really help you in that. But I just hope that you do. I'm sending you love. And I hope you get yourself out of this criminal situation you're in. And I love you. And I'm sending you love. And I just send you the best. I send you my best. I genuinely do. And after a few moments of quiet, they usually said, thank you. And we ended the conversation like we were friends. Now, doing this once does not magically change the world. This is a lifelong practice. But to love enemies, to, to, to practice at the small scale what we want on the big scale, to learn to live in the messiness of human meeting plugs us into the fractal, na na fractal nature of the universe, of the divine universe. And in those acts, we begin to work towards that, that true liberation of the human spirit.